good morning, everybody. How you doing? Glad to be here today. Hey, let's just thank the Lord for an opportunity to be in God's house and worship Him. All right, let's do what we do. Get your Bible out and open it up uh, to Matthew chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one right there next to you, and we'll put the page number up on the screen so you can follow along. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, we are in our series called Grace, and we've been looking every week at a facet of God's grace. And uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about grace uh, for my doubts. Grace for my doubts. Let me ask you a question. Have you doubted God? You know, I, uh, I've been in pastoral ministry now, I guess, as a lead pastor for somewhere around 27, 28 years. I know that's a shock because of how young I look. Yeah, thank you. I was hoping for a few more amens on that. Uh, but, but nevertheless, it's true. And, and what I've noticed is that there's a pattern here. and the, the, Basically, the principle is this, that doubt grows in disappointment. Doubt grows in disappointment. If you face some kind of disappointment, you pray for something that didn't happen or some crisis happens in your life and there's disappointment that, that often doubt can grow uh, through that. We have an expectation. Maybe your expectation is way up here and then your experience comes in somewhere way down here. And, and therefore, that gap is a gap where disappointment resides and out of that comes doubts. God, I prayed for that thing and, and nothing changed. Or God, why, why, did I, why can I not be married? God, why can't we have a child? God, why can't I got, get past this uh, physical illness? God, why do all these things happen and they spring out of our disappointment? Now, I understand that there are some people who have doubts based on intellectual questions and so on, and that's fine too. But, but I'm saying majority of time, doubt comes from our disappointment. And so you may be here today and you've had some disappointment and you've had those questions and maybe you've never really verbalized them, but internally you have nagging doubts. Does God really answer the prayer? Is the Bible really true? Does, is God even there? Well, listen, if you have those doubts, then today we're going to talk about that. And how do you get past your doubts? And how do you really begin to go on and walk with God? And we're going to look at a man that had some disappointments and some doubts, and yet he experienced God's grace in the process. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew 11, verse 1. All right? Everybody's Bible out, heart open to hear from the Lord. All right? This is the Word of God. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in these few moments that, God, you would open up our heart and our mind to understand 
where these doubts come from and how to overcome these doubts. And God, I pray specifically for those in this room right now that struggle with doubt, that God, you would remove their doubt and replace it with great confidence in you. So Lord, speak to us. We're listening to you. Amen. You know, this uh, passage really centers around uh, a man named John. John the Baptist or some call him John the Baptizer. And John the Baptist was a very important man. In fact, he was like a rock star in his day. He was a national celebrity. He was kind of the Billy Graham of his day. He preached repentance and preached the gospel, and thousands and thousands of people came to hear John. I mean, his popularity went far beyond the borders of Israel, uh, all the way up into a, a Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and so on, all that area, they found followers of John. And John was a man that God had, in, had in instituted and installed as one who would point the people to Christ. In fact, Flavius Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, wrote about John in his secular writings. And he said this about John. He said, John was a good man who had commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, righteousness toward one another, and piety toward God. So even a secular historian knew about John and talked about John and his message. Think about it. For 400 years, these people had not heard a word from God. For 400 years, there had been no prophet. For 400 years, no miracle. For 400 years, no angelic appearances. And the people were hungry to hear from God. And then all of a sudden, here comes John on the stage. And John was larger than life. He was a colorful character. I mean, from his appearance, I mean, he had probably a big old scraggly beard, and he was tanned, leathered skin, and, and barrel chest, and a booming voice. I mean, if you think of, think of Duck Dynasty, you kind of get the idea, all right? That was this kind of guy. He wore this camel-skinned uh, 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 clothing and a big leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey and lived off the land. I mean, he was a man's man and, and courageous to the core. He would call out these religious elites and call them snakes and vipers, and you better get right with God, and, and then turn around and call the common man and woman to come to faith and, um, and to repent of their sin. And he would baptize him in the Jordan River. And John would move around, and everywhere he went, thousands of people would come. And they would be mesmerized by this prophet of God, which is really what he was. He was the last Old Testament prophet. All the other Old Testament prophets said, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. But John said, the Messiah is here. There he is, right there. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was John's purpose. He was set aside by God to point out Christ and let everyone know that Jesus is the Messiah. So he was such a powerful figure and such a godly man. But what we found in this story in verse 2 is that John's in prison. So what's he doing in prison? Well, I'll give you the long story really super short. John was in prison because he spoke out against the public sin of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great that ruled in the jurisdiction of Galilee. And uh, there, the, Herod Antipas had basically taken the wife of his brother Philip and, and convinced her to come live with him. Right? Which probably made it awkward at the family dinner table, probably, I would think. But uh, nevertheless, he did that. And John, being that prophetic voice, called it out as sin publicly. And because he feared John, and he feared John's influence among the people, 
uh, Herod Antipas had John put in prison. Now, most people believe that John was put in the prison or the, called the Citadel of Macarius. The Citadel of Macarius was located along the Dead Sea on the eastern side on the, what is modern-day Jordan. This is what some people think it might have looked like in its day. King Herod had multiple fortresses and palaces scattered throughout. Masada would be one. The Herodian would be another. This was one that was now on the eastern side. And most likely, this is where John was kept in prison there. And so John went in one fell swoop from being a preacher to a prisoner. And, and John was taken off the public stage. Now, we don't really know what's going on in John's mind, but my guess is, this is, again, Craig's thought about it, that, that most likely John thought, hey, I've already pointed out that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's going to come and do his Messiah thing, which means he's going to gather the population behind him, and he's going to lead an insurrection to throw off the, the yoke of the Romans, and he's going to establish Israel as a military power. That's what Messiahs do. You see, John did not have the perspective that we have today. See, John just saw the prophecy and that he was the Christ, but he didn't see uh, Jesus crucified and Jesus raised to life and the spread of the church. He didn't understand all that. So John just thought, well, the Christ is coming. He's going to establish his rule and reign, and, and that's how it's going to be. So when he may have thought, well, when, when Jesus gets into power, he's going to set me free. When Jesus, when Jesus comes into power, he's going to open up the, this jail cell, and I'll go on and do my thing. And then he starts to hear words that kind of confused him, words like Jesus isn't building his power base, and Jesus isn't putting together a, a war council, and, and Jesus is actually he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people on the moral fringe, and what is that about? So here was John's expectation, and here was his experience, and the gap between caused disappointment in John and confusion in John. And John began to doubt, maybe Jesus isn't the right one. And I think, by the way, I think John took a lot of courage for him to send this message to Jesus. And he sent this message via his, <clears throat> his own disciples, and he asked Jesus this question, are you the one that is to come? Or should we look for somebody else? Are, are you really the one, or did we miss it? And really, reading between the lines is John's doubt. John is doubting what he sees. You know, doubts and questions go hand in hand. When you begin to doubt God in any area of your life, it, it's revealed in the questions that you ask. And you may be here and you ask, you've got a lot of questions. Well, why, why are we having this problem? And, and why isn't this thing, we prayed for this thing to happen. And God, we believe that you would bring this to happen. And yet it hasn't happened yet. And why is that happening? And why do we have to go through this? And why am I struggling with this? And why are my kids going through what they're going through? And you just have all these questions. And they're giving voice to your doubts. You know, we, we've been told over the years something like this, and some people actually preach this, which I would warn you against, but it's kind of, in, it's kind of behind the scenes in our, in our Christian thinking that somehow if I just love God and I do the right thing as best I can, then God's going to give me what I want, right? 
I mean, we love Psalm 30, uh, 34, 7, or Psalm 37, 4 that says this. It says, um, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't you love that verse? Man, put that on a little plaque, put it up on the refrigerator. We love the last part of that verse. He will give you the desires of your heart. But we kind of forget the first part of that, which is if we delight in him first, if we want what he wants, if we make him the center around which everything revolves. And so then all of a sudden when trouble comes, which Jesus said it would, in this world you will have trouble. When disappointments come, when hardship comes, when trial comes, all of a sudden we go, wait, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I hope for. My expectation isn't being met. And so now I'm rocked back on my heels and I start to have questions and I start to doubt God. Is God real? Does God care? Is the Bible true? So let me give you a couple of things about doubt that's important for you to understand. The first thing is this, that doubt is common. Everybody goes through seasons of doubt. Everybody. I mean, you can't find anybody that is mentioned really in the Bible that, that did something great that didn't have at some point a season of doubt. You know, you look at it, Eve doubted God's promises. Abraham doubted God's protection. Uh, Moses doubted God's power. David doubted God's provision. Habakkuk doubted God's uh, mercy and comfort. Job doubted God's presence with him. And then you had uh, even the disciples of Jesus doubted. I mean, you got Peter that doubted while he was walking on the water. He doubts, boom, starts to sink like a rock. Or then you've got doubting Thomas, right, who, who forever will be the quintessential doubter. Right? He was doubting Thomas because he had to put the, his finger in the wounds before he could believe. We all go through seasons of doubt. All of us. In fact, uh, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. And that's really important for you to understand the difference. Doubt is when we say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't know what's happening. God, why is this happening? God, it hurts. Unbelief says, God, I'm rejecting you. I don't believe you. I don't trust you anymore. See, those are two different things. When we're doubting, think of it this way. Doubt is wrestling with God, but unbelief is rejecting God. See that? There are two different things. And so when you're in the doubt, season of doubt, it's okay to wrestle with God, to ask those questions. It's okay to work through those things. All of us do that. And so if you're feeling if you're doubting right now, it, it's just a season that you're in. But if it turns to unbelief, that's the problem, see. So doubt is very common. Here's another thing that you need to know about doubt. Doubt is also very dangerous. That if you stay in this holding pattern of doubt too long, if you question too long, uh, then all of a sudden what happens is Satan will use that to erode your confidence in God and stop your spiritual growth. If you, if you just stay in this whirlwind of doubt, just kind of circling around and around, never getting answers, never going anywhere, then all of a sudden you will, it will stifle your growth. You'll never really experience God's power, God's presence. You'll never be used by God the way he wants to use you. In fact, in James chapter 1, he warns us against doubt. He said, uh, he who asks for wisdom must believe and not doubt. Uh, if he doubts, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. In other words, he can't really make any decision. He can't really move forward. Can't really even share his faith because he's got all these doubts. And I know people that are just tied up in doubt and it keeps them from moving forward. That may be you. You may be here and you are just tied up in all kinds of doubts and they're keeping you from really moving forward with God. 
So what do you do with your doubts? How do you handle your doubts? So I want to I show you a couple of things right out of this passage that might help you to deal with doubts today. All right? So I want you to jot these things down. Paper out, pen out, jot these things down. Put it on your iPad, whatever your phone, whatever you're doing. Get these things down so you can talk about them over lunch. All right? Here's the first one. First thing you need to do with your doubts is to take your doubts to Jesus. Take your doubts to Jesus. That's what John did. Here was John. He's in this prison. All of a sudden, he's sitting there thinking about this. He's got no TV to watch. He's got nothing else to do. He's just thinking about these questions and troubles. His heart is troubled. And, and finally, he, he makes a decision to just come on out and say it. And so he tells his disciples to go tell, ask Jesus this question. Are you the one or should we look for another? I think that took a lot of courage for John just to admit that he was doubting. You know, a lot of times we will feel it, but we won't say it to anybody else because we don't want people to think that we're, we're losing it or, or, or we're not right with God, and so we won't say it. But listen, if God knows where you are all the time, and he knows when you stand and when you sit, and he knows what you think him before you even think it, don't you think he knows that you're doubting anyway? And so if he knows it already, then just tell him. God, I'm really struggling with this. God, I'm, I don't understand this. God, I'm angry about this. God, I'm, I'm hurt over this. God, I, I'm just bewildered as to why this prayer isn't being answered or this situation is happening. Just bring it to God. Bring it to Christ. You know, this week I was with our staff and in our prayer time, and we were looking at this story in the Bible about a, a father who had a son that was possessed by a demon. And this father had taken his son to everybody to try to get help. He'd gone to every physician, every person that could possibly help him. Nobody could help him, and he was losing hope. And finally, he brought this boy to Jesus. And, and in talking with Jesus, he said, Lord, if you can, do something and have mercy on us. And Jesus looked at him and said, if I can? Like, really? And he said, anything is possible for those who believe. And the man, kind of shocked by what he said, said, oh, no, no, Lord, I, I believe, just help my unbelief. And man, I thought, that is so much like us, isn't it? Hey, I believe, okay, I, I believe God can heal. I believe that God can provide. I, can believe, I believe that God has a plan. I believe that God's going before. I believe it, but yet there are still these sinking feelings of unbelief that I wrestle with, and, and I'm struggling to to really believe what I believe. And so when you're in those seasons of unbelief and you're struggling with them, then take them to Jesus. Listen, doubt is like the wind, okay? And depending on how you set your sails depends on where doubt will take you. If you're feeling doubt and you set your sails to say, I want to know Christ and I want to dive into Christ, then that doubt will drive you to ask the right questions and to find your spiritual answers and to draw you into spiritual maturity and growth. But if you set your sails of your life to drift far from God, then your doubts will drive you there. So it depends on what you're doing with your doubt. Are you taking them to Christ? Are you letting them drive you to know him more and trust him more? Or are you just allowing them to drive you away from God? So take them to Jesus. Take these doubts. Tell him what's on your heart. Plead with him. Cry out to God for your doubts. The second thing is this. Uh, hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to God's promises. 
Uh, this is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't respond to John directly. He got the question, are you the one or should we look for another? And, and Jesus did not say, yes, I'm the one. You know, he didn't give a direct answer, which is so like Jesus. Jesus would almost never give a direct answer. He'd always give you something to think about. So he said, I'll tell you what, tell John that the lame are walking, the blind see, the dead are raised, the, the gospel is going out to the poor. You tell John those things. He'll know what that means. What was that all about? Well, the reason why he said that is because he knew that John knew his Bible. John knew his Bible. John knew Isaiah 35. And he knew Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, talks about when the Messiah comes, that the lame will, will walk and the blind will see and the dead will be raised and the gospel will go out to the poor. He knew that, so he knew that, hey, what he's basically saying is this, John, read your Bible, it's coming true. John, go back to the promise. It's coming true. Now listen, if, if Jesus tells John in his doubts to go back to the promises, then how much more do we need to do the same thing? Listen, when you are struggling in your doubt, that is not the time to put your Bible down and say, I'm not going to read that anymore. I got all these doubts. No, that's the time that you dig into your Bible and you say, I got to find answers to these questions. And you dig in, you dive in, you ask the question, you fill up a page full of questions, and you, you keep pressing in until you find answers to the questions that you have. you got to settle the issue of God's Word. You know, this whole week has been, I've thought a lot about Billy Graham. You probably have too, right? Billy Graham's funeral was this week, and many of you probably watched it online as I did. There was nobody in history like Billy Graham. They say now that Billy Graham preached, uh, or his message went out via TV, radio, and, and live preaching to 2.2 billion people. Can you imagine? 2.2 billion people. That somewhere around 211, 212 million people actually attended his live preaching crusades. And that 2.2 million people prayed to receive Christ as a direct result of Billy Graham. 2.2 million people. And there's probably much more than that that no one knew because they heard about it on the radio or, or so on. And you know, when I think about that, I think about the power of Billy Graham. But did you know that Billy Graham struggled with doubt? He did. It happened early in his ministry when he was in his mid-30s. And this was somewhere around the mid, mid to late 1940s. Billy Graham was out of school and he was doing a few evangelistic uh, gatherings. He did some in his home state of North Carolina and in Michigan and Pennsylvania. But they weren't going that well. In fact, he said by his own admission that the one in Pennsylvania was a flop. And so out of that, he began to wonder, should I even be doing this? Is this really what God wants me to do with my life? Add to that, he had a good friend named Charles um, that, that was a preacher with him. And, and Charles was, uh, had got, decided to go to Princeton Seminary. And at Princeton Seminary, his buddy Charles had begun to hear about liberal theology that was questioning the, uh, the authenticity of the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible that, that had all kinds of errors and so on. And so Charles was beginning to pepper Billy with all these questions that he really wasn't prepared to answer. And so he was in a season of doubt. Is this what I should do? Is the Bible really true? And, and he didn't know what to do with these doubts. Around that same time, he got an invitation to speak at a retreat center in Southern California called Forest Home. 
and to do a week-long evangelistic crusade. So Billy went down there to do it, but his heart was turning in trouble with all these questions and with all these doubts. And while he was there, he was studying the Bible, and he noticed that many, many times as he would read, he would read the words, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And God was reminding him that these are my words. These are my words. One night, Billy was walking in the hills and the trees out in the forest outside the retreat center. He was carrying his Bible in his hand. And he was so troubled about these doubts and all these questions that he couldn't answer. And he finally came to a tree stump and he put his Bible on the tree stump, not, not like a pulpit, but more like an altar. And he cried out to God and he said, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if this is what you want from me. I don't know how to answer my friend and all the questions that he has. And then he knelt down in the dirt right next to that Bible. And he said, God, but from this point forward, I'm going to receive your word by faith. I'm going to believe that this is your word as you said and that it is uh, accurate and it is true, and it is inerrant, and I'm going to preach your word as long as I live. And he said in that moment, he felt the surge of the Holy Spirit come upon him in a way that he had never felt before. The next day, he went to preach at Forest Home and their gathering, and 400 people came to faith in Christ that time. They said they had never heard him ever preach like that. He had authority and power unlike ever before. Just a few weeks later, Billy Graham would open up what he called the the Canvas Cathedral outside of Los Angeles. And literally hundreds of thousands of people would come and thousands were saved. And over an eight-week-long crusade, it launched his ministry that became a worldwide ministry. You see, all these people that are saved, all these that heard the gospel, you rewind the tape and it all comes back to how Billy Graham handled his doubts. So here's the question, how are you handling your doubt? Are you coming to a point where you say, you know what, God, I I have made a decision that this is your word, and I'm going to trust your promises, I'm going to believe uh, what you say, and I'm going to trust you regardless of my experience. Even though my expectation may be here and my experience here, I'm still going to trust that you know best for me. Listen, if you want to get past your doubts, you got to take them to Jesus, and you got to hold on to God's promises and stake your claim on on those promises. Here's another thing. Not only you hold on to God's promises, but you uh, see where God's at work. He said, uh, go tell John, Jesus said, uh, what you've seen and heard. I love that. He said, just go tell John what you've seen and heard. That the lame are, are walking, that the blind see, that the dead are raised. He said, just go tell them. Listen, it, when you have people around you, they have lots of doubts. Well, I've got all these questions. You know, I can't really trust Christ because I've got all these questions. Just tell them what you've seen and heard. So many times people go, well, I can't answer all that, and I can't debate all those things. You don't have to. Your testimony is a powerful thing. Just say, you know what, I I don't know all the answers to that, but here's what I do know. The man, I I was depressed, and God brought me hope and healing. I was, my marriage was a train wreck, and God restored that. I I can tell you that I was living a self-destructive lifestyle, and God changed me completely. That I, I I was desperate, and God brought me joy. I mean, listen, just what you've seen and heard is enough. What you know of the gospel, what you've seen God do in your life and the people around you is enough. It's enough. You say, what if if I'm the one that's doubting, Craig? What do I do then? Well, then open your eyes. What have you seen? What have you heard? Have you heard the gospel? 
Do you know what Christ has done? Did you know what he accomplished on the cross? Do you, have you seen the, the sweeping change that Jesus made in people's lives? Have you, how do you explain the explosive growth of the church? How do you explain the lives that are even today being transformed? When I, when I was in college and I began to doubt and question God and write all these things down, one of the things that really helped me was not only to dig in and find answers in the Bible, but also to just look around and see the people that mattered most in my life and how Jesus had dramatically changed them. And I had no other answer but that this must be true. So open your eyes. Listen, some of you are in a prison of doubt, just like John, but you're in a prison of doubt. And listen, you're never going to get out of that prison until you open your eyes to see what God has already shown you, and then you accept it by faith. Listen, some of you go, well, you know, I can't do that until I have all my questions answered. Until I understand everything, I can never accept Christ. I said, listen, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, if, if the gospel is simple enough for a little child to understand, then there's enough faith that you can have without knowing every answer to every question for you to be saved. In fact, by the way, you didn't know everything about your spouse before you married them, did you? No, you didn't. You said, boy, howdy, did I not? No, I didn't ask you to get into that. But what I'm saying is you, what you did, but you didn't know enough to say, hey, I love that person and that's who I want to be with. Now you grow after you came to that decision, then you grow with them, right? And you come to know them. And you spend your whole life the same way with Christ. You know a little bit. You know that I am a sinner. I need Christ. I can be saved by, only by Jesus. You know enough to put your faith in him. And then from there you grow. But you don't have to know everything to come to Christ. So how do I get past this? I, I go to Jesus with my doubts, and I go to God's word with my doubts, and, and I open my eyes to what God's doing. Let me give you one last one very quickly. Uh, what else do I do? Just doubt your doubts. <laughs> doubt your doubts. All right? If you're into doubting, well, then great. Just doubt your doubts too. Question your questions. Be, scrutinize your scrutiny. Be skeptical of your own skepticism. I think that's what uh, Jesus told John with this verse 6. He adds, he goes, go tell him that all these things are happening. And then he adds this little thing just for John. He said, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me, John. The word offended is the Greek word scandalon. Sound like an English word? Scandalous. He says, don't, don't be tripped up by me, John. Hey, John, let me send you a little message through these guys. John. Don't let what I'm doing trip you up. Even though you don't understand it all, and even though you don't fully get the big picture, and you're not going to see it, even really this side of heaven, John, don't let these things trip you up. Trust me. Trust me. Listen, at some point, you've got to doubt your doubts. You've got to wake up to realize that Satan wants you to doubt. Because if he can keep you doubting, then he can keep you from Christ. If he can keep you doubting, he can keep you from being used by God. If he can keep you doubting, he can stop you right in your spiritual tracks, and you'll never move forward. He'll stop your mouth from witnessing. He'll stop your hand from giving. He'll stop your heart from serving. He'll stop everything if he, if he can just keep you doubting. So doubt your doubts. See what's happening. I think John finally came to a point of resolution and peace. I really do. The reason why I believe that is because John never left that prison. He was executed there. He never saw 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He never saw the expansion of the church. But I think when John got this message from Jesus, and he said, tell him the lame are walking, all these things are happening. John, don't trip up over me. That it was enough for John. I think he said, okay. I think he turned to his men and he said, he's the real deal. He's the one. And even if I don't see it and don't even understand everything, he's the one. You know why I believe that? Because after John's death, it says his disciples took his body and buried him. And then they went and followed Jesus. And I think John told them, when I'm gone, you follow him. Listen, on the other side of your doubts is great confidence and joy. On the other side of your doubts is God using you. On the other side of your doubts for some of you is being forgiven of your sin and walking with a God who created you and knows you. But you've got to move past those doubts. The only way forward is through faith. The only way forward is through faith. For the just shall live by faith. That we are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. And that's why Jesus calls every one of us to trust him and to walk with him.